For the past 25 years, Bordeaux Index has been relentless in our focus on changing the fine wine market for collectors and investors. Today, we are the largest seller of fine wine and spirits globally. Bordeaux Index. Join us and visit BordeauxIndex.com. Hello and welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Laura Prendergast. And I'm Olivia Potts. And today we're delighted to be joined by Luke Farrell. Luke is the founder of two of last year's hottest openings in the restaurant world, Plaza Calgang and Speedboat Bar, both furiously spicy Thai restaurants in central London. He spent the last 15 years living in Thailand, as well as working on his nursery, Rye Water, in Dorset, where he grows a living library of Thai ingredients in his six tropical greenhouses. Luke, welcome to Table Talk. Thanks for having me. Luke, we're going to start where we always do, at the beginning, and ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? You know, I was actually asking my mum about this not so long ago, and she told me about a particular time in London's Chinatown at a restaurant called New World Restaurant. And I've been going there since I, I remember it no longer exists. And um, when I was very small, I used to love going there and having dim sum. It's opposite the fire station there. So when I was a small boy, you could go and have, see the fire trucks and then go and have some Chinese food, which is really a great day out, basically. And um, I remember sitting on a, one of these large, you know, those massive tables with the Lazy Susan, you know, and all of this stuff going around. And it was the crispy wontons that really got me. My mum told me that um, I was already ordering from the menu at, at this point for everyone. I knew exactly what, what to have, crispy duck and pancakes and wontons and sumai and hagao and all of these sorts of things. And um, we had those hot towels, you know, that you can dab your face with and, and, and hands before eating. And um, I said to the waiter, do you mind if we take these home? I, th- I think it's OK. We'd we, we like to keep these. Um, <laughs> so I was already like, already sort of... Um, yeah, being the head of the table then. When I was very small, I, my mum followed this nutritionist uh, or paediatrician called Christina Brule, um, who had this plan of how babies should eat, you know, little textures and, and flavours, things like the Stellini pasta or, you know, eating grapes and learning how to spit out the, the seeds and this sort of thing. And I had a little cup, an egg cup, because I never had one of these beakers of waving around and drinks going everywhere little egg cup and that has a very thick lip which is actually for babies quite quite nice to drink from so from a very early age I already had a little chalice on the table and the little the, the teacups in in uh, new world restaurant were, were similar so um i, I felt very at home <laughs> sounds very sophisticated baby weaning <laughs> um luke tell us about what what were meal times like in your in your family house and, and what sort of food was being cooked for you well my my mum is a fantastic cook and uh, we have our own vegetable garden we always have so food was very simple and fresh and and from the garden so the kitchen is the focal focal point of our entire home we've got an an agar in there and I think just sort of so natural cooking on that it's always on you know just things like toast cooked on the agar and and a can of sardines with 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 onions that's one of my earliest food memories I think doing it myself initially and my mum sold it to me as sardines, as deep sea fishes rather than sardines. So, um, yeah, that, she got me on that one. 
but yeah, always been quite quite adventurous. The, the the rule was, you know, you have to try it before you can say you don't like it. And um, I think that's in a very important way to to eat. How do you know if you haven't tried it? Unfortunately, now it's gone the, completely the other way. My mum tells me, oh, don't eat that. Please don't eat that. That's not safe. Generally, all the funky stuff that I have in Bang- Bangkok's Chinatown and some <laughs> very um, tricky Isan street food and lots of offal and, um, and things that might not constitute a wholesome meal but are delicious nevertheless <laughs> yeah and did you travel much when you were a child or when did your interest in food yes from right from right begin? from the beginning my my dad is a, a lepidopterist which is a, like a, a butterfly expert and he opened butterfly farms in malaysia and and traveled extensively around southeast asia also in central america and, and belize so i was always tagging along with him so that was sort of the normal for me was was eating um you know street food in malaysia and i have a malaysian uncle who took me to eat my first fish head curry um which still stays with me as one of my um most enjoyable food memories he had it there in the restaurant and he you know he, he was giving me all the choicest bits you know the lips the little fronds running down the head and the cheeks and then it, we finally got to the brain inside. And he said, do you think I can get into this and, and get the brain out? And I said, well, you obviously can. And he sort of sucked off the bone at the front. And then it like a sort of key came out and it cracked it open. And then his, inside was this little sort of gray globular sort of jelly type thing. And he said, go on, you have that. And I sort of gulped and tried it. And I thought, yeah, this is this is good fun. This is the way to eat. Yeah, <laughs> it can't, I can't, it can't, it can't all be fillet steak. You know, this is this is a lot more enjoyable. So yeah, it was it, that was the, the norm really, and um, and I it translated back to how I like to eat at home. You know, we'd always bring things like chili seeds or or some cuttings, either for the butterflies or 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 for us back, and and that's how the greenhouses started. Really, there's always a kind of something that we were growing that was from Malaysia or or Thailand or, or Vietnam especially. And do you remember when you first cooked? I remember cooking cooking at home. Yeah, like, you know, sim- si- simple things, you know, like pasta and that, that sort of thing. But it's only really when I, and at school as well, I used to cook like black pudding and we used to have that like, in the mornings and like jam the extraction on and try to hide, like, the smell out the windows and stuff. But I had, um, I remember when I was in halls at uni and I was, the rest, everyone else in my halls was, was Korean girls. They were all studying there and we were all sharing one fridge and it was like just chocker full of like bulgogi sauces and kimchi and all, all that amazing stuff. I thought, well, I'd like to cook something for them, you know, if they like these type of flavours. So I made pad thai and I haven't cooked that for years now thinking about it, but um, I used to make it all the time. And I think it's similar to everyone who, who leaves home. You're always on the phone back back to your mum saying, hey, you know, at least I like eating that. How do you make that? And then... That, that's how it, when you have to do it by yourself, that's how, when you learn a lot more. And also the freedom to cook whatever you like as well. So we had some incredible parties in, in, in that halls. We had some really mad meals from all over the world. Yeah. I remember cooking kippers for them as well. Yeah. And stinking out the place. That seems to be a familiar theme running through my um, <laughs> culinary career. It's, it's basically, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing happening. 
And tell us about the early stages of your career in food. I, th- I think I'm right in saying you, you were at Salt Yard and then at Trishna. What was, yeah, what that, was that that's like? right. So I was, I was, well, I was at design school at St. Martin's and I didn't get on with that very well. I started um, bartending and, and things like that, just earning a bit of cash, cash to travel, basically. And then I went to the salt yard and um, they said, would you like to do a day a week in the kitchen? And I said, I said, yeah, I'd like, like, like to try that. So I did that. And the first thing I cooked on that first day was that chocolate nemesis cake. Do you remember that? Um, that was um, a classic and I, I couldn't believe it like in like you know an hour I'd made a cake it was mad and uh, they couldn't get me out of the kitchen after that that was it stuck wouldn't leave and they said you know it's less money and you don't you know don't get as big a share of the tips I said I don't care I just want to be in the kitchen yeah I just found it a very safe and happy place for me and what I wanted to do from that point and Tapas and you know the Salt Yard, which is a wonderful restaurant to start off off at. I wanted to learn and you know go to culinary school. And at the time, all of my peers were going to you know France and Italy and and increasingly Spain um, to do stages. And I thought, never mind all that. I'm going to go off to to Singapore. I, st- I had an addiction to chili back then. So I went, I went to um, Culinary Academy in Singapore. And the reason for that was it would be a place where everyone spoke English and there was Malaysian food, Chinese food, Indonesian food, like but all of the cuisines of, of Southeast Asia are condensed and easy to get to, you know, hawker centers all over the place. So that's why I went to Singapore and um, I had the most incredible time just e- eating my way around <laughs> Singapore. Have you found that professional kitchens are run differently in different areas of the world or is there a sort of common theme that runs through them? I think they're, they're run differently. I mean, talking about Trishna as, as an example, I went there on, on a stage because I'd been to the, uh, a restaurant called Trishna in Mumbai, which is famous for this uh, butter crab dish. Now, so there was one in London, which I, I went to to start basically to pinch their crab recipe and... Um, be able to cook it myself and that kitchen was beautifully quiet there wasn't all of this shouting and and swearing and and you know stress at all because if you're good at what you do like these chefs in that restaurant been doing it since they were kids um, there's no need to shout there's no need to get stressed so that that kitchen was was very very calm and, and peaceful in, in how service was organized I, I think you only really get that kind of thing what you're used to now is when people are spinning out in kitchens and they start swearing and shouting and doing all that kind of stuff in in Thailand it's like if if you lose your cool that's it you know it's like you have to have like a cool heart jai yin yin if that goes out the window then um, it's not good for you or anyone else and I I think that's an important way for a kitchen to be now to to work diligently and patiently and persistently at one's craft and in that way you can have a happy kitchen environment and that that then has influenced how you run your kitchens well i'd like to think so i mean we do, we do get a bit stressed um, there's a balance but, um, there's a balance to be struck there, there, there's there, there's definitely a balance there yeah <laughs> and we're, we're trying a lot of things that in thailand are easy to do and they're second nature to to a, to a thai chef and in London, despite my training and, and, and immersion in, into Thai culture and cuisine, um, are still difficult things to, to, to master. 
there, there's a complexity with the supply with, with London restaurants uh, as they are, how they have to be machines to make a margin that um, that that plays heavily on on um, on on my heart and how we how we do the cooking. But always have to remember where where it comes from and what what we're actually aiming to do. Food-wise, Luke, tell us. I mean, you've obviously travelled extensively across Southeast Asia. Tell us about how you ended up settling on Thai food, and and how that then led into the ingredients you're growing in your greenhouses. Well, I suppose it is it is Thai food, really, because the, the two restaurants that that now are in London are are Thai. But I was really all over Southeast Asia. I have a a business selling cooking equipment online. And I sell woks, hand-hammered woks from China, these volcanic pestle and mortars from Indonesia. I used to work in Indonesia for a fair trade company and selling into garden centers as well. So I've, I've always been in that part of the world, just most, most naturally. And the food is a huge part of that and it's a huge part of doing business over there as well. Um, I think the reason I settled on Thailand, or perhaps I'm most familiar with Thailand, is because I learned, to learned the language. I'm learning the language now. If you speak a little bit of Thai, the country opens up like a beautiful flower. It's wonderful how receptive Thai people are to just a few words. And I think that really encouraged me when I first went to Thailand. And, uh, you know, you, you, the more effort you put in, the more you get out with, with, that, with that sort of thing, with, with language learning. It's really important for chefs that are involved in a cuisine that is not from where they're from, that uh, they take the time to, to learn to speak the language or at least have a go and that can be that can mean reading recipe books which i do a lot in thai that helped me a lot to to read thai script you can see the picture and go oh, look, oh, that's garlic kratium then you can read the thai underneath so that helps uh, a lot and, and and again when you're in a restaurant how to order that's um, that's a great skill because um you can eat like thai people rather than eating what they think foreigners would enjoy there's a hosp- hospitality in thailand that sometimes gets the better of you. I'll say, I'll put it like that. And, and Luke, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned you haven't cooked pad thai for a while, because I suppose lots of British listeners might think that that is the kind of archetypal Thai dish. I mean, how does the Thai food that we have in the UK compare to what you've encountered and what you're trying to do at your restaurants? Well, I think the Thai food that we do at Speedboat Bar and, and Plaza is as you would find it in Thailand. That's really what... All, all that we're trying to do uh, and that is a challenge which I, I relish it's the same with the greenhouses you know it's very easy to grow herbs in Thailand in the field or, or, or in your back garden but when you're growing them in the UK with low light levels and heating bills and you know the, the, the cost of it it's an added complexity which I kind of like I don't know I, I, I enjoy all of that I think that it's exciting to be able to transplant a cuisine from one country to the other and try and do it in the best possible way. The curry paste, for example, are shipped from Patalung in southern Thailand for Plaza. What that means is that they're correct. Where you could have a person in the UK pounding a curry paste, it would be very expensive to do that. The ingredients they would be using would be flown in from Thailand anyway before being pounded, uh, and they wouldn't be fresh. And also they wouldn't have the experience of a third generation curry shop in southern Thailand. So that's why we do it like that. And the main reason for it is it means that we can't cheat with those pace, with that level of chili heat, the correct Southern Thai turmeric, long pepper in some of the pace and everything from a 
from that particular area makes for a dish that we can't dumb down or, or dilute um, in any way in the restaurant. The same with our fresh coconut milk. We, we make our own fresh coconut milk because that's how it would be done in southern Thailand. And we do the same in, in our restaurant. The vegetables coming up from my greenhouse are the same that you would find in Thailand, albeit fresher and not flown over. That's an example of the type of thing we're trying to achieve at, at Plaza. With Speedboat Bar, it's more of a Chinese style or this cuisine of Yara, which is Bangkok's Chinatown. That's not to say it's any less complex, but there's more emphasis there on, on sources like, for example, oyster sauce and soy sauce, as, as well as you know, roasted meats and, and noodles. The noodles that we use come from Lowe's Noodle Factory in, Ch- in Chinatown, which is a, an institution. That, was, that made sense there. Um, we also imported our own Thai soy sauce from Betong in southern Thailand, made in the traditional way. So all, all these things come together to sort of build that story of, of a restaurant that is of Thailand. It's too easy to, to get a tin of coconut milk and a pre-prepared paste and bosh it together and have red, red curry, orange curry, green curry. I think that um, I think that those days are over, really. I think people have travelled more. They're more used to Thai food and they're more used to a vernacular type of cuisine rather than what they're fed as tourists. And I think that's nothing but a good thing. And can you tell us a bit about the speedboat bar? There's a kind of speedboat theme to it. Can you tell listeners about that? Because they might not be aware of this as a... Yeah, yeah, that's yes. It's well. It's they're like waterborne piston heads, right? They're like the hell's angels of the um, of the Klongs and canals in Thailand, and it's these tiny wooden boats, you know, like tea trays with these massive engines on the back, all chromed out and thumping away there, all the fumes and and stuff, and massive exhausts on the back, and it's it's a sport in Thailand that is of tradition and the waterways, the Venice of the East, all of that, but but uh, updated to, to present times with all of the neon and the, the excitement and the speed. And that's something I like to go and watch when, you know, when, when I'm in Bangkok. Um, there's a great atmosphere on the riverbank, all these boats zooming past, and there's always food nearby, you know, things like grilled pork on skewers, doing a little barbecue set up on the side of the river or some hot pot dish with the coals inside bubbling away. Or just some like seafood, like prawns or like crab, you know, gang song curry, that that sort of thing. And um, I thought that it would be interesting to have that. I, first of all, I, I love it, and I wanted I wanted the boats over in the restaurant. I thought it would be good fun. And as it looks like a Chinese shop house, speedboat bar itself, you often find that that it would be set up as a restaurant, and then the living quarters would be upstairs. Now very often now with these Thai Chinese families or Thai Thai families should we say that um, yes the downstairs is still a restaurant but the upstairs is more of of the the younger generation's interests you know so it could be like a bar or it could be like a clubhouse for a sport they like or it could be you know pool tables up there or or whatever we wanted to do the same thing in in London so what where downstairs is quite sort of utilitarian and the stainless steel tables and basically like a shop house that you could you know wash out with a hose at the end of the night like they do in Thailand. Upstairs would be more more of a sort of clubhouse vibe. And also to be able to go from the first floor up to the second floor and get the difference, um, I thought was, was quite exciting too. And tell us about the greenhouses. How long have you had them for? 
Well, the greenhouses started from, from my dad, really, and the butterflies. We have lots of butterflies flying around, around there. We own the Stratford-upon-Avon butterfly farm and have a, a partnership with Butterfly World in Florida, as well as assisting in Entopia in Penang in Malaysia, which my dad helped set up with my Malaysian uncle all those years ago. So the greenhouses were for butterfly food plants, but I was sneaking herbs back and cuttings and seeds and putting them in there. And my dad's head gardener was growing them for me. And then I would go and pinch them and, you know, cook up a curry or something and, um, you know, or a stir fry or a pack of pow with the Thai basil. And it was actually my dad that took some to the NAM in London at the Halkin Hotel when David Thompson had a restaurant there. And I think his book, Thai Food, is probably one that every aspiring Thai chef should own. It's a Bible of sorts for Thai cuisine outside of Thailand. And he, he took him a box of herbs and he was like, well, we want more of this. So it started from there, really. And I went to Thailand and met up with David's head chef at Nam in Bangkok, um, Adam Lee Cliff. And we went to a plant market and just raided the place for everything that he wanted to grow in my greenhouses. And let's just say somehow they ended up in my greenhouse in the UK. And um, a, lot of the, a lot of the plants still from that stock today, like the lemongrass, for example, has been transplanted and separated hundreds of times. It's gone down to other growers further down in Cornwall in the, in, in the southwest, uh, which is a wonderful thing. So it's not just supplying my own restaurants. So yeah, that, and now we need it for, for us. I, I used to supply to some of the people that used to cook for David Thompson, restaurants like Kiln and Smoking Goat and Begging Bowl, uh, to name a few, Farang as well. But now that they have their own suppliers, um, which, is, which is great. And we supply ourselves now at, um, at Speedboat Bar and, and Plaza. Yeah, with, with, with the herbs that w wherever we can. So at this time of year, I'm now adjusting what we're growing in the greenhouse to, to, to fit the many for, for, for this year. So that coming into, you know, March, April, May, we've got plants coming through. We've got, you know, gourds and, you know, citrus working. So then further into the summer, we've got our setup for all of our Thai basil and, and holy basil. We've got then things like Southern Thai turmeric, which we're going to have in, in a soup at, at Plaza. So it's about designing the greenhouses around the restaurants now, whereas before it was, whatever popped up in the greenhouse, I just, I just cook with it. Now it's, it's taking a lot more planning to make sure that we can offer exciting ingredients and the correct ones in, in Southern Thai and Central Thai cuisine. That must be immensely satisfying as a as a chef and gardener and curator of, of vegetables and herbs to be able to bring all those things together and give an authentic experience? I, I think it's, for me, it's the most important thing. There's only a handful of suppliers that, that deal in Thai produce in London and they um, sell to the majority of the restaurants. So what you're getting is the same across the board. To add into the mix ingredients that are grown in the UK in tropical greenhouses where possible, is a great thing and they don't have to be done in tropical greenhouses you know at certain times of year they can be done in done in polytunnels or even outside with some of the Thai tomatoes and chilies later in the year and I'm, I'm always encouraging people to, to do that because it makes Thai food so much more vibrant and correct as well you know it's a cuisine 
based on fresh ingredients rather than dried spices. So that's, that's why they're so essential. Luke, when you're cooking for yourself at home, what, what do you tend to cook? Do you, do you cook a lot of South Asian food or, or not? Yes, I, I, I never stop with it really. Just, just walking around, walking around in the greenhouse, I'm like, oh God, I better use that. I got it. Oh, you know, that needs to be used somewhere. So, sometimes I'll cook something for myself, and then with the rest of it, I'll be like, right, we've got to, we've got to box this up and send it straight out to the restaurant. We've got to have it on the menu immediately, which drives drives the chefs mad. But um, it's, it can be difficult sometimes in a London restaurant to be spontaneous and to put specials on there's a whole machine that needs to work in order to um to for a dish to come on the menu so jamming something into the works now now and again is um it's become a bit of my speciality really but yeah and and i cook cook at home and then i'll send you know i'll i'll send the chefs the picture and say how about this and they'll moan and groan and then i come up to london with it and cook it for them and then we'll all sit down and, and eat it and then hopefully it'll get on the menu that sort of thing. So it's always playing into the restaurants for me. It's simple things really. With, with the time I've got now, I, I cook like a pack of power, go and get a handful of basil and chilies, garlic, coriander root, and bash them up and have that with, with some beef or pork and just, just on rice with a fried egg. My chickens are laying again now, so that, that's a, always a lovely thing to do. I'm, often I sit down with, with my family and, you know, we go through the menu, well, what, I, what I've made and what's come from the garden, you know, oh, look, this is our own rye water beef, this is our own egg from the chickens we've got, this is our own holy basil, our own chilies, our own coriander, our own garlic. Yeah, just short of making fish sauce. Um, <laughs> <and it's>, uh, <laughs> we, we get, we're getting there, yeah. You've obviously always been an adventurous and a, and a confident eater. Is there anything you don't like? There is, there is one thing. It's my Achilles heel. And it's really annoying because I've tried so many times. It, raw oysters. I just, uh, just can't eat them. Yeah, I, I, had them I, had, or... I had a bad experience. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had half a dozen that came into place. And then I went to a house party and downed some tequila. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that, that, that was it. I was, it I was up and down from bathroom, ba- <laughs> yeah, bathroom to bathroom with that. <laughs> I, well, sorry, it, it really stitched me up. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have eaten them raw in the past, but I've always, that experience, I'm not allergic, but that experience just makes me heave. Um, Can you basically. still drink tequila? But I, I, no, not the tequila, weirdly. Yeah, it's the oysters. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have, um, I don't like tequila, but I'll have them steamed uh, in Thailand. And I, I, eat, I eat oyster omelettes as well. It's one of my favourite things to eat. They have these sort of quite small... They look more like mussels, really. They kind of think they're not like kind of all over the place. They're kind of little globs of mussels which pop with this sort of saline sea flavour. They're, they're incredible. And Luke, thank you very much. Just to finish on, we normally like to ask our guests what their desert island meal would be. It's sort of a kind of what would your last meal be question, but we find that seems a bit morbid. So, <laughs> what would be your ultimate meal? Gosh, that's difficult. My ultimate meal. I think it would be fish head curry. I know we talked about it before, but there's something, if you're, if you're about, if it is your last meal, then something which you can really get into and block everything else out, I think would be a lovely thing to have. And uh, yeah, fish head curry takes a bit of, bit of work to eat. There's lots of different elements on it. And I think that's exciting in, in, in food and something you have to do a little bit of work for is interesting. Also, I like the fact that, that if someone, you know, so this is your last meal and I demanded that, 
I might get to live a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> and would you have would you have a drink alongside us? I'd yeah, I'd have um, a very large glass of Jameson's on the rocks. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Luke, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining Table Talk. Thank you very much for having me. 